even if we're in the book of Daniel. Will you turn with me to Daniel chapter 2? I'd love for you to grab a Bible at the end of one of the rows if you need to. Uh, if you don't have one, it is your gift. Take it. If you have a friend who doesn't have a Bible, you don't want to have to go pay for one. We don't care. Take it to them and write a note in it that says, hey, this is a gift that, uh, from a church that loves you and wants you to know the Word of God. And so take that. Share it with them. love for you to have the opportunity to do that, even if is what we're talking about right now, walking through the book of Daniel and being able to explore and discover more of what God really has in store for us. Um, every week I've been giving you the last couple of weeks since we started this series a little bit of background, contextualization of the scripture. And I want to do that again today uh, just a little bit just so that you can keep being reminded of the significance and the power of what's taking place. The book of Daniel really bridges the gap between Israel's historical books and then the New Testament. That's what it's doing. It's one of the last books written uh, by Daniel in the Old Testament in terms of time frame. And here it is recording events in Israel's history during the 70-year Babylonian exile. And it's recording some of those events and everything that was taking place. This is um, starting just before 600 B.C., 600 years before Christ and going on for about 70 years. So we see this happening and taking place, and it, Daniel's recording a lot of these different events that we have. Um, many of them, except for some snippets here and there in Ezekiel, this is the only place that we find them recorded in the Old Testament. And so it's important to understand some of it. Uh, the first six chapters is a narrative of Daniel's life. The, the last half of the book is really about a lot of prophecies that we've been referring to the first couple of weeks um, and that Daniel has been able to speak about um, and be able to foretell of. So here he is outlining this history uh, of what's happening with the people of God. Uh, I want to go ahead and make sure that we do also understand that it was Daniel's personal dedication to God in a heathen society that was such a powerful example. It, it, here he is, this guy, Remember, Daniel, and then you got some of his friends and others, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but several more. Um, during the first captivity, uh, just before 600 years before Christ, they've been taken back about a two-month journey to Babylon. And as they've been taken back, um, they're being indoctrinated with education and with religion and with different things like that. Um, they're being indoctrinated so that they can serve, and it really shows the power of King Nebuchadnezzar and others that they can do that to varying places. And so here's Daniel needing to make a decision of whether or not he's going to remain personally dedicated to God because it would be really easy to be ripped out of your current society, your current culture, be put in a new one where you're being pressured to give in to everything because you know that if you don't, you'll probably be killed to give in to it and say, okay, fine, I give up. So this is all unfolding before us. Daniel serving as this wonderful example of godliness. Daniel chapter 2 begins with this. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be some to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
So then the Chaldeans said to the king of Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants to dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and the interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So I just want to stop right there real, real quick. Daniel chapter 2, that's verses 1 through 6. And here's what's unfolding. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of their friends as well. Chapter 1, they've been brought in. And Daniel says, I don't want to eat everything that the king is going to give me. It's going to cause me to defile myself and my faith. And so through a lot of events, um, the guy who was in charge of that allowed him to eat nothing but vegetables and have water. Um, he goes before the king. He looks healthier than he's ever looked before. So now he says, feed everybody that. And now, all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he brings in people, all of his magicians and sorcerers and the really wise people of the area, and he says, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to tell me what the dream is that I had, and I need you to interpret it. Both. Tell me what the dream was that I had first, and I want you to then interpret it. And if you don't, no pressure, but if you don't, I'm going to tear you from limb to limb. Right, sometimes just the anxiety, the stress that you recognize can cause you to be a bit blurry-minded. And I'm thinking, I would, have been, I would have been a bit blurry-minded. So this is what's taking place. He has a disturbing dream, can't sleep, causes people in. Tell me the dream, interpret it. If not, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, somehow in the midst of this, even though we don't think that they were present, if you read Scripture, um, but Daniel and his friends are brought into the middle of this. This episode of King Nebuchadnezzar having somewhat of, I would consider, a meltdown. It's a bit rash, don't you think? But it tells you a little bit about who King Nebuchadnezzar is. And Daniel is brought in. And he even asked the, the head executioner, Ariok, he says, hey, listen, what, what's taking place here? What's going on with the king? So Daniel goes before Nebuchadnezzar, and he asks him, he goes, hey, listen, I've heard about this. Can you give me a little bit of time to be able to let you know what the dream is and to be able to interpret it? And the king agrees to it. Now, here's something that really stands out to me. It tells us that Daniel immediately at this point he runs off and he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, as soon as he leaves the king, king agrees to give him a little more time to interpret this because I'm certain that Daniel doesn't want to be torn limb from limb and to have his entire house and everything else destroyed. And so he comes and he says, listen, um, as soon as he goes away from the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I need your prayers. I need your support. God does not intend for us to live life alone. And some of us choose to live alone because we're too prideful to share with others that we need prayer and we need support. And here's a young man that thousands of years later we're still speaking about. And what he sets as an example is this. He runs to his friends. He says, pray, I need God's wisdom.
the first thing he does. Daniel trusted his friends for support and for prayer. And if you don't have friends that you can trust with support and prayer, you need to probably examine the type of friend that you are, maybe, and, and, and to be able to say, God, help me to know how to be a more godly friend and to be able to trust people and to be able to, to pour into their lives and to pray together and to support one another. He didn't have too much pride to run to him and say, I need your help. And the response and the result even better, the result is this. In verse 19 and 20 of Daniel chapter 2, it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Another powerful example from Daniel um, is not only did he go and run to his friends first in the midst of this meltdown from King Nebuchadnezzar and trust them and ask for prayer and support, but then what he does is as soon as God comes into his life and God speaks and reveals this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, Daniel's response isn't to run to the king immediately. His response was first to what? Praise God. Because he knew where that wisdom, that understanding, that power, that strength, that interpretation came from. It came from God. And so instead of just automatically running off and seeing King Nebuchadnezzar, he begins by worshiping and praising God. Daniel praised God before knowing the response of the king. He doesn't know how King Nebuchadnezzar is going to respond, how how King Nebuchadnezzar is going to react to what he's about to say. But that part didn't matter. He responded first by praising God. Daniel praised God before knowing the response of the king. And too often we are reliant upon our praise and worship, depending upon others' receptivity of it. Rather than knowing that God provided it. Knowing that God anointed, that God directed, that God gave insight, that God gave wisdom. We need to learn how to praise God for what he's already done not simply because of what he still needs to do. We need to learn to praise God for what he has already done, not for what else we think he still needs to do. God owes us nothing more than what he's already done in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Daniel didn't wait for things to look favorable for him in order to praise God. We need to camp on this for a little bit because I believe a lot of times we wait for things to look favorable for us until we praise God. Oh, now, now I've got that promotion. Oh, now I'm not sick anymore. Oh, oh, now I have a better relationship with my spouse. Oh, now my neighbor and I actually can have a dialogue without wanting to kill each other. Oh, now, right, we wait for things to be favorable for us before we praise God. And Daniel says, no, God is worthy of praise regardless of things being favorable for me. Amen. So be it. What a powerful lesson for us to be able to glean from the life of Daniel. Daniel gives all the credit to God. 
Because that's what happens. When your attention is elsewhere, what, what often takes place is you're living life, and you're like, God, help with this, and all of a sudden it happens. And so you're rejoicing because things look favorable for you, and, and you're doing better in life. And because you don't stop to give praise to God first, uh, naturally, because we're sinners and we're naturally selfish, we start to receive and to give ourselves credit for what's taking place rather than to the rightful source. His name is Jesus. Right? We, we run over to our mom and our dad or even a colleague or a friend and we say, hey, look what I made happen. Look what I did. All this is unfolding, though. Finally, after giving praise before God, Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. And I know I'm going somewhat quickly, but it's a long chapter I'm trying to get through. And we find in Daniel chapter 2, if you skip down to verse 31 through 35, you see what unfolds. Daniel is coming. He's going to call out, listen, let me interpret this dream for you. And, and I could go into verse 20 and following. I'd encourage you to go read this praise that, that Daniel has for his, his God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Verse 20 and following. But later on, verse 31, Daniel comes and he interprets the dream. And he says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. At that point, my eyes would have looked up just to see if I would have already gotten it right. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became the shaft of the summer threshing floors. Immediately I go back to the story of Gideon. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And Daniel goes in and he lets him know after laying out this dream and begins interpreting it. Daniel lets Nebuchadnezzar know that God gave him this dream to show him what the future has in store. And he launches into this interpretation with King Nebuchadnezzar seeing this giant statue of a human being and all the different pieces that make up that statue. And then suddenly what you hear there is that he speaks of this stone that's not crafted, that's not made, that's not configured by any human hand. And he sees this stone hit the statue on the weak part. And the statue collapses into pieces and it gets blown away by the wind. It's gone. It's, it's in the air. It's dust. But the stone that hits it turns into a giant mountain that covers the entire earth. But I got a picture of it for you right here. I want you to be able to see this. And I want to start speaking about what some of this symbolically means for, for us, but also meant, of course, for King Nebuchadnezzar. He goes on to start speaking about what the different varying parts mean. That the head, which is gold, is symbolic of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And so you see that. And then just to simplify, what happens as you go down beneath the head, all the way down to the feet, that represents different inferior kingdoms getting weaker as you go down. And you see those different kingdoms that are represented there. Babylonia and the Persian, the Greek and the Roman. And so as it goes down from King Nebuchadnezzar, those inferior kingdoms get weaker and weaker and weaker. And it's representing those. Each one of them showing less and less power and significance relating to this absolute power that King King Nebuchadnezzar had in each of those kingdoms having less and less absolute power from the ruler, this autocratic mentality. So we see this interpretation coming. And I want to stop here for just a moment because I want to remind you Daniel is known very much primarily for three things. And I hope that you know the book of Daniel for three primary things. Uh, We think about it in terms of Daniel chapter 3, which is next week. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Diana referenced that earlier. Yes, I'm going to preach Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because we all love saying the names. But it's also known for Daniel chapter 6, which is Daniel in the what den? Lion's den. But it also needs to be reminded, uh, reminding us of the prophecies that Daniel foretold of that all came to fruition. And I'm reminding you of that now because then I, I want for just a moment, think about Matthew 21, 42 through 44. You can write that down if it's not already there. Write this down just to reference later on. I'm going to go through it quickly so you don't probably have time to turn to it. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. This is what it says. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, these are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Christ is speaking to the leaders at this point, and he's calling this out. And I'm letting you know right now that this stone that is, that is being thrust and, and coming in and, and going to be hitting all of these kingdoms, that stone is Jesus Christ. He will reign. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And he will annihilate all other kingdoms. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is is the stone that is flying through the sky in that image that you saw that is going to destroy these inferior kingdoms. And yes, that includes King Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is where I get to the portion of the interpretation of the dream. If I'm Daniel and I'm speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar and I get even more anxious, you're going to fall. You're going to be annihilated. 
Because you think about the meltdown that King Nebuchadnezzar has already had, I would say that King Nebuchadnezzar at very best is a bit rash. Never sure of how he's going to react to something. And so here he is laying out this interpretation. And he says words like this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. He says, And in the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Does that remind you of Matthew 21? Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. Matthew chapter 21. And it shall stand forever. Nebuchadnezzar's impressed. He's impressed. He bows down. He worships Daniel. He orders grain, incense, offered to him, all types of things. The king praises Daniel's God, saying he's the God of gods. And the big question here is, how are you praising God? Because King Nebuchadnezzar hears this interpretation, and he recognizes that there's truth. And so he says, oh, my I need to bow down and worship this guy because obviously his God is the one true God. It tells us, verse 46 through 47, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a reveler of mysteries, for you have been able... A revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. And so here's our response to the king. Daniel gets a huge promotion. Good day for Daniel. We find later on that Daniel gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some prominent positions as well, helping him to oversee the everyday business of Babylon. But we do find Daniel remaining even in a, a very nice position a servant of the king until the fall of Babylon. I need to pause here for a moment because um, I'm needing to make sure you understand the response of the king. Um, and, and this would be interesting because this is going to tie chapter 2 and chapter 3 together. And I'm going to go ahead and hit some of this because I feel like I have more time to do it this week than I do next week. First, I'd like you to examine. If your response is more of Daniel, or if your response to the king, the one true king, is more of King Nebuchadnezzar. And here's the reason I'm asking for you to think about it. Here's what unfolds. King Nebuchadnezzar, we just read it, responds to this interpretation by saying, wow, I need to worship Daniel and his God because obviously this guy's got it going on and this is the real king, right? 
So I need to give this guy an amazing position, and he does. Daniel brings his friends around and say, hey, here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gives them amazing positions of authority in the kingdom as well. All of these people are ones who were brought over from the exile 605 years before Jesus Christ, and now they're being put into a position where they can impact a foreign country, one that does not worship the one true God, and to have that type of impact. And so here's the response of King Nebuchadnezzar, and you're going, yeah, wow. He, he turns, and he starts to worship the one true God. Well, I want to remind you, and I'm, 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 I'm going to go ahead and kill some of the story in Daniel chapter 3. King, King, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3 orders that a statue be made to worship. Or do you remember this? Maybe you know this. So all of a sudden, there's a twist in this whole story because you're going, yeah, King Nebuchadnezzar finally got it. But very soon after, he then forgets it. (laughs) And part of the reason I think that this is happening and unfolding before us is this. Because I think we're more similar to King Nebuchadnezzar than we know. Hear me out. Because I believe that King Nebuchadnezzar heard what he wanted to hear. And instead of worshiping and making the king of kings the one true king, he just made him another one of his gods. Because they're in a polytheistic community, society, not monotheistic. Monotheistic, monotheism, meaning one God. There is only one, and there is only one God. But they're in a society that was polytheistic and having multiple gods. And so when it was convenient, he would then give homage to the king of kings. But he really didn't allow him to have authority and acknowledge him as the only true king. This is all unfolding. And that's why when we pray that this year God truly teaches us and grows us in knowing what it is to be a catalyst for spiritual awakening in a dry culture, that as we learn that, that we will always give authority to the only true king. And that we examine if we're more like Nebuchadnezzar than we know because we're actually allowing Christ just to be another one of our idols, another one of our gods, rather than the only true God, the only true king. And that's a hard thing to evaluate, isn't it? That's a difficult thing to be able to say, wait a second, maybe, maybe, perhaps, Instead of him being the one true king, he's just another one of the gods that I worship according to whatever season of life that I'm in. And so we ask ourselves, how are we responding to the king? I want to give you some practical next steps for us. Because this is a big message. Here's Daniel chapter 2. He is the only true king. Make sure that you're acknowledging him. It's a big message for us because too many of us have done what King Nebuchadnezzar has done, and we've paid homage when we think we need to pay homage, but we haven't really allowed him to take lordship over our life. Big message, isn't it? So some practical steps for us to be able to move forward and and to take that one step closer to Christ. 
And then another step closer, one small step, right? We just want to keep taking those small steps closer to Christ so that we can reflect him, so that we can be more like him and be obedient to his word. And one of the very first things that we need to do, and you're going to hear this language a lot around here if you're new, is that we need to stand in the eternal. And I want to explain that to you for just a moment. When you know something is temporary, it's easier to resist temptation. When, when life hits you, I want you to evaluate things, whether or not um, it's temporary or not. Because when you know something is temporary, it's easier to resist temptation. I do that in all types of my life, all facets of my life. One of the ways that I do that, of course, is eating. <laughs> I go, am I going to enjoy this in 15 minutes? Do I really need a fourth piece of fried chicken? And so I ask myself, is this temporary or is it not? And so you need to make sure that you stand in the eternal, which means you evaluate things based on whether or not they're temporary or not. And so I want to encourage you uh, to recognize that because I think Daniel did that. I think Daniel stood in the eternal. He knew what mattered for all of eternity because of the one true king that he had in his life. And as a result of that, he was willing to make decisions that a lot of people would not be willing to make because they're looking at the temporary and not the eternal. Another thing, though, that we learn is that we need to seek friends for prayer and support. Some of this is going to be repetitive, redundant, and I want it to be because I want it to sink in because I know how badly I need to hear this. We need to seek friends for prayer and support. And that's really my challenge for you is just to speak with one friend, not your spouse, speak with one friend this week about what God's doing in your life. And I think you'll discover that you'll find strength in doing so. Speak to one friend about what God is doing in your life. That's what Daniel did, right? In the midst of the crisis, he runs to his friends and says, I need your help. Another thing that we discover is that we need to praise God before knowing the response of those around you. You need to praise God, trust God, even when the situation seems impossible. Praise God before knowing the response of those around you. God knows the big picture. We don't. He is sovereign. And so we submit to his will, his place in our lives. And then lastly, we need to declare that Christ is the one true king. He's not just an idol, another God that we worship according to the occasion. Depending upon whether or not we get what we want. In every situation, it's a theme that we see from Daniel's life. He first always praised and worshiped God. And we need to ask ourselves if we will declare that. Right now, I want to ask for some water, but I'll never know where it comes from. <clears throat> oh, watch this. The camera people are going to hate me. 
I've got water right here. I'm getting it. Um, I found it. Some of you are like, maybe he'll stop preaching. Uh-uh. Oh. I'll come back. I'll go ahead and I'll ask the praise team to go ahead and come out. Because I want us to sit for just a moment and examine whether or not we're willing to declare that Christ actually is our king. Have you declared that Christ is your one true king? Or is he just another one? It's just such a big question And I keep coming back to it because I think, listen, let's be honest. If everybody showing up in church today truly declared him as one true king, do you not believe that the world looks different today? And when I worship, I know that this is my job. I'll speak for Pastor Nathan as well. This isn't something that we have to do. This is something we get to do because he is our one true king. And so even if my feet are messed up, even if I have to walk in multiple boots, even if the cancer is present, we get to worship God. And I want that to sink in because it will radically change your life. And if he's just another God that you serve, another idol that you have, and we have all kinds of idols. I think our children are often our idols. I think money is an idol. I think materialism is an idol. I think sometimes a position is an idol. Sometimes an idol is a different team that you cheer for. We can go down a laundry list of things. God is so much more than that. He is so much more than that. And we need to ask ourselves whether or not we will declare that Jesus Christ is our only king. Will we worship him regardless of the response of others? I'll tell you now, if your your worship of God is dependent upon those around you, you're always going to struggle in your worship of God. Will you declare that he is the one true king? And some of you need to acknowledge him really as savior. Acknowledge that you can trust in him. And my prayer today is that we would do that very thing.